Hey there, Mike Wong here, and I'm back with a special edition of Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. Yesterday, I went to watch Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, in theaters for the first time. This was a Fathom Events special for the movie's 35th anniversary this year, and it was a fantastic experience. First of all, many of you may have guessed that I am of the age where the original release of Star Trek II was way before my time. So getting to see it in theaters was a real treat and a first-time experience, even though I'd seen The Wrath of Khan about a million times on VHS and DVD growing up. Well, on the silver screen, everything looked so much more beautiful, from the glory of the USS Enterprise departing space dock, to Kirk's San Francisco apartment, to Savick's, it's still regulation, hair. And the sound, oh my goodness, James Horner's score was so epic in the theater. And that scene where Enterprise is leaving dry dock for its training crews and the ship's lights come on one by one and every time a light illuminates there's this bum bum this is starfleet operations enterprise is clear for departure admiral on the bridge it just gives me the chills every time. And in the theater, it was absolutely amazing. I thought I was over you, Enterprise Refit, but seeing this movie on the silver screen just reinvigorated my crush on that starship. Fascinating. Well, watching it in theaters made me notice things that I'd never noticed before. Like that scene in Kirk's San Francisco apartment, which, by the way, I adore. It's the scene between Bones and Kirk, and Bones has just come over. Why, bless me, Doctor, what beams you into this neck of the woods? Beware Romulans bearing gifts. Birthday gifts, Romulan ale. Why, Bones, you know this is illegal. I only use it for medicinal purposes. And a pair of 400-year-old spectacles. Bones, this is charming. And what I noticed for the first time was that there are foghorns in the background. And I never realized that there were foghorns. I guess I just don't turn on the sound loud enough on my TV or something. But there are foghorns there, and it reminded me a little bit of home. I am from the San Francisco Bay Area. But then I thought, huh? They actually still use boats in the 23rd century, even when they have shuttlecraft and transporters that can beam cargo around the world? Interesting. Anyway... Like I said, I adore that scene between Bones and Kirk just because of their interactions. You know, they're just so honest with each other. Damn it, Jim, what the hell is the matter with you? Other people have birthdays. Why are we treating yours like a funeral? Bones, I don't want to be lectured. What the hell do you want? Two old friends who have been through thick and thin. You're hiding. Hiding behind rules and regulations. Who am I hiding from? From yourself, Admiral. And it really introduces the theme of time and aging that underpins so much of Star Trek II, which is a theme that I only came to appreciate as an adult. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? 
Jim. I'm your doctor, and I'm your friend. Get back your command. Get it back before you turn into part of this collection. Before you really do grow old. You know, growing up as a kid watching Star Trek II, I was, of course, creeped out by the SETI eels. I still am, by the way. And I loved the space battles, the craziness of a battle within the Mutara Nebula. By the way, speaking of the Mutara Nebula, on a tangent now, the bad astronomer Phil Plate published an article on Sci-Fi Wire... Dot com, or actually it's sci-fi.com, and the, the website is called Sci-Fi Wire. Earlier this year, for the 35th anniversary of The Wrath of Khan, a really interesting Science of Star Trek article called The Wrath of Khan at 35, Entering the Mutara Nebula. And he uses The Wrath of Khan to basically talk about the science of nebulae in outer space. Right? He talks about what gives nebulae colors, why they exist, and what they do, what they eventually end up making, their star-creating factories, and uh, also the science of the depiction of the nebula in the show. It's got the right colors, he says, but the fact that there's this sort of entrance barrier to the nebula, um, where they're outside the nebula, and then all of a sudden they're in the nebula, and the moments they enter, they kind of, the ship quakes and lights dim and everybody lurches forward in classic star trek style isn't actually what would happen because the nebula is so diffuse and you would gradually work your way into a nebula which is basically a cloud of of space gas and dust anyhow it's a great article and i'm going to link it in the show notes look it up bad astronomer one of my heroes as both a trekkie and as a scientist and as a science communicator anyhow Back to Kirk's apartment in San Francisco. I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this scene even more now as an adult because I'm picking up on the theme of aging, which is a really prevalent theme in The Wrath of Khan. And watching this scene on the big screen this year made me actually appreciate something in Star Trek Beyond, last year's J.J. Abrams-produced, Justin Lin-directed Star Trek movie. And... It's because in that film, Chris Pine's Kirk and Carl Urban's McCoy have a very similar scene over some liquor on Kirk's birthday. And it just mirrored this scene from The Wrath of Khan so beautifully. And I had forgotten about this mirroring. So that was wonderful. Other things that I noticed for the first time actually had to do with science and Star Trek and the intersection of the two. I noticed that in the end credits, the University of California, San Francisco, gets credit for helping with animation. What? For those of you who don't know, UCSF is one of the leading medical schools. And so I looked this up because I was just so curious. And apparently there's a scientist by the name of Dr. Robert Langridge who was working at UCSF in biochemistry and biophysics, developing computer-generated imagery of molecular structures. And his models of DNA were used in the Genesis proposal video that Kirk and company view to learn about Dr. Carol Marcus's top-secret research project in The Wrath of Khan, which is really cool. And by the way, 
this Genesis proposal video, what's a proposal? Well, we scientists deal with proposals all the time. You have to submit your ideas, right, before you actually do them to uh, some kind of organization with money, with funding. And you've got to prove that your scientific ideas are, one, plausible, and two, exciting and, and useful or interesting to the public, and three, are just cool. Right. And in order to prove that your proposal is cool, you've got to you've got to write it up. You've got to include lots of fancy figures and you've got to try to outcompete everybody else who are submitting proposals that round. And I smiled when I saw Dr. Marcus's proposal because it was one so familiar, but two so foreign in the fact that it was a video proposal. And right now, a lot of friends and I are working on proposals to conduct research as postdoctoral scholars over the next few years after we get our PhDs. You know, what are we going to do afterwards? This is the science that I can bring to the table at your institution. Come and hire me, that kind of thing. And, and, and you know me, I'd much rather record a video proposal like Dr. Carol Marcus did than to write pages and pages of, of, of research text. So <laughs> I guess I was born in the wrong century. Anyhow, a few lines down the end credits of The Wrath of Khan, I noticed also for the first time that the Jet Propulsion Laboratory gets a grateful acknowledgement. Whoa! JPL is the NASA facility which is located in Pasadena, California. That is the town that I live in, and in fact, JPL is administrated by Caltech, my university, for NASA. So I was really intrigued. I was like, JPL contributed to arguably the best Star Trek movie of all time. How? So I Googled it. I Googled uh, Wrath of Khan JPL, and I found out that, again, this has to do with the Genesis proposal, that computer-generated animation of this lifeless planetoid transforming at the molecular level into a thriving M-class world suitable for life as we know it, that animation was worked on by the same people who had animated simulations of NASA's Voyager spacecrafts doing flybys of the giant planets. And in a few weeks, I'm going to post a podcast about the 40th anniversary of these Voyager spacecraft that NASA launched in the late 70s. But I guess during the 80s, when they were encountering all of these giant planets out there, and people wanted to visualize what these planetary flybys were looking like, they hired people at JPL, of course. Uh, JPL ran and currently still runs the Voyager missions. And they asked them to, hey, can you simulate what a planetary flyby would, lo would look like? And it turns out that the people who were hired to do the visual effects for Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, were those same people. And that's amazing. That is so cool how actual science and actual scientists contributed to the glory, the majesty, the beauty of science fiction, especially through Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. And so I think there was a lot to to take away from this experience of seeing The Wrath of Khan in theaters. I was very intrigued by a lot of things that we can talk about here on this podcast later. We can talk about the Mutara Nebula a little bit more. We can talk about the retina scan that 
that Kirk had to go through in order to see this classified document from from Carol Marcus, right? What is a retina scan? Does that actually work? Is that really like fingerprinting? Can we do that with today's technology? And also, what is the Genesis probe all about? Can you actually reorganize matter at the subatomic level into something that you want? And even if you can't, if you imagined that you could, what would you actually do to create a world suitable for life? In other words, do we know enough about what life needs and wants and requires to be able to say, if I had the power to reorganize a planet so that it was suitable for life, how would I do it? I think that would be a really interesting discussion. And of course, I, I before I leave, I have to say, yes, I did tear up at Spock's death scene. And, oh, you know what was surprising, actually? I felt very emotional at the scene after Spock's death scene, where Kirk is back in his quarters trying to read the book that Spock gave him for his birthday, The Tale of Two Cities, and Kirk's son David comes in. Can I talk to you for a minute? I poured myself a drink. Would you like it? Lieutenant Savick was right. You never have faced death. I know nothing. You knew enough to tell Savick that how he faced death is at least as important as how he faced life. Just words. But good words. That's where ideas begin. Maybe you should listen to them. And I felt really emotional when David tells James D. Kirk, I was wrong about you. And I'm sorry. Is that what you came here to say? Mainly. And also that I'm proud. Very proud to be your son. Hey, I'm really proud to be your son. And and I don't know why that really struck an emotional chord with me this time around, but it did. It's not like I have a terrible relationship with my father or something that I never got to say I'm proud to be your son, but I don't know. I guess it's something about getting older and um, seeing more of the world uh, and just experiencing more. And that, that's what great literature, that's what great fiction feels like, really, is to be able to revisit it at a later stage in your life on a bigger screen, hopefully, and just appreciate different parts of it, notice different parts of it, and get excited by different parts of it. And I'm glad I had that experience with The Wrath of Khan. If you're listening to this podcast right away, you have a chance to go see The Wrath of Khan on Wednesday. It's showing all around the United States again just this Wednesday in theaters. So go check that out. And if you are listening to this podcast too late or can't make it out to the theater on Wednesday, that's fine. I hope you get to rewatch Wrath of Khan on your own personal device sometime soon and look for some of these things and appreciate the Genesis proposal video from a brand new perspective, knowing that actual scientists participated in making that look as scientifically plausible as possible. Well, that's it for now. I just thought I'd share a few of those science and Star Trek tidbits and stories from my viewing of The Wrath of Khan with you. And I hope to be back later this week with a brand new episode featuring James Keen, who was at this showing with me, and our good friend, Peter Gao. Till then, see you out there.